When I'm thinking about human-centered design, I know people tend to almost take the cliche and always think that that's about, it's always about like participatory and that, but I think to me that's that's any kind of, it's when you think about technology, uh, fitting into the, the world of people. And, when I, and again, when I'm talking about the world of people, I'm not just talking about users and what people can do with it. I'm talking about our basic human existence on this planet needs to be included in that. So I think it's planetary concerns as well. So it's, so it's beyond, it's not just like the selfish human. I think it's like, it's, it's kind of human, humanity um, outside of technology is really important. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Edit Undo podcast. This is this is going to be a very interesting episode. I think this is the first time that we're actually going to be having somebody who's been mentioned on the podcast twice, actually, as one of our guests. So I think it's going to be interesting to um, to, to dive a little bit into um, into this discussion. But I think put put briefly, in some sense, as both Chanel and um, who was the. Who was the second service designer who mentioned? Um, uh, Frank, I think, yes. Frank, that's right, yes, yes. Both Chanel and Frank um, sort of mentioned. You've played, I think, a role as a guide for a lot of UX designers, products designers, and service designers on their journey, both into design and into their professional lives. And so I think, um, you know, as one of the more well-known lecturers in this, um, in our discipline, I think it's going to be great f- both for myself and Stephanie, but also for the people listening to explore a little bit of the of this of this field, but from the perspective of somebody who approaches it from a different perspective. Because I, I, I guess not everyone's got um, a household academic that they can speak to. So hopefully, um, <laughs> hopefully we can be entertaining. And I guess Terence, welcome to the show, and I really look forward to this discussion. Well. Uh- Thanks very much, uh, Stephanie and Alfie. Uh, firstly, uh, uh, thanks very much for inviting me. Uh, it's, uh, it's really nice to be on the show. Um, and also, I think it's, it's thanks for the very warm and you know very kind introduction. Hopefully, I can live up to it. <laughs> uh, but we'll see. We'll see how that pans out. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I, I've got have, no doubt at all. We have very all. high expectations. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Just putting no it pressure. out there. <laughs> um, but you know, one of the things that really surprised me, um, so Steph and I were doing a little bit of research and we sort of checked out um, some of the pages and we saw that you have over a hundred citations and h- how many publications was it, Steph? I can't remember. Oh, I'm not sure how many because I'm not good but with numbers, by, but by that a lot more than I would expect. <laughs> yeah. And I guess maybe a pl- an interesting place to start is like, how do you actually end up in academia? I know a number of people who have been in and around it, but it seems like the majority of people after a certain amount of time veer away and you've been in the game 20 years. So what's firstly, how did you get there and what's keeping you there? Well, 20 years, I suppose it has been, I think next year I'm, I'm there for 20 years. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think, maybe start off when they're young with a firm plan and what they want to do with life. I definitely didn't fall into that category. A lot mm-hmm. of the stuff like just ended up kind of, you know, it's almost like a river and you sort of end up somewhere. So mm-hmm. I actually started uh, originally. I studied my undergrad was in fine art, and this mm-hmm. was this was uh, 
I suppose, in the mid-90s, uh, where there wasn't actually many choices. And to be honest, I grew up in the West Rand. I didn't actually, I wasn't that well educated uh, in terms of design. And mm. uh, I think outside of graphic design, that's really an architecture that it, it was either fine art or one of those two. Mm. And it was actually only really going to Wits Tech in those days where I actually learned that there were other fields of design out there. And I, and mm. I, I think, to be honest, the, compared to now, I don't think there were that many. I mean, it, mm. it, it wasn't yeah. as wide as For it sure. is now. Um, so I actually, I, I was a fine artist or I was studied fine art. Mm. And then I was actually, <clears throat> weirdly enough, I was working in a, probably a university government project uh, teaching uh, rural people how to make paper, of all things. Oh, wow. When I actually got a, <laughs> yeah, when I got a scholarship to through the through Vitstech, uh to go do my masters in Australia for a year. Sure. And, okay. and this, this, yeah, this was about when was it? I think it was two thousand and two that I went to Australia, and that really actually opened up my eyes a lot towards design, because mm. I think school. I mean, university in South Africa at that time was still very much probably very classic in the sense that, um, you know, it, mm. it, it was very much about following rules, doing the, you know, like just going through, like the lecturers were there, they were on the top of, you know, there, there was like a very big gulf between uh, lecturers and students. And you were just like almost felt like you were like this little guy in the system. And then going into Australia, going to Australia and finishing my education there was really quite different because I had a whole different way of thinking about education. It was much more about uh, thinking about what you're doing and the quality of like your thoughts and actions, rather than you know following a rule book. And I think that made a big that was very influential to me. Um, I think even now doing my masters over there. And then, so when I came back, because I'd gone on a scholarship with the with Vits Tech, I actually then started working in our department of multimedia, which had just actually started. It was in our first or second year under Mark Edwards, which uh, and and even that department was a little bit it had just as I said it had just started, and it was really interested in new media, but it didn't actually. To be, I, mean, I think we all were quite open at the time. We didn't really actually know too much about what we were doing. It was also new. Um, <laughs> were you saying it, new it, media? It, what is new media? Just new, new media. media types. New media is like a, it's, it's almost like a coin term now, kind of like multimedia that, oh, okay. that was around in the 1990s. And they would refer to it as, as almost like, I think even film would fit under there, but it was very much like a term that they referred to all digital. But what um, was interesting about so this term generally in digital is it was very much, I mean, this was the age of director, you know, and they were authoring CD-ROMs. So that, that was like, a, you know, <laughs> that, that, that was digital. Hmm. And it, it was digital. Yeah. <laughs> So the interaction design was really, mm. I mean, this was even pre or almost like the flash era, but almost mm. like a little bit before that. Oh. Um, and I mean, I so I ended up in the departments of multimedia for mainly because I had a master's and they needed somebody <laughs> who could actually, you know, supervise mm. honest yeah. students, you know, mm. at that level. 
And I'd done a bit, very little bit of director. Mm. And I mean, the Adobe packages, I'd done a bit. So I actually started off teaching like fourth year and first year. And really mm. my first year of teaching, we decided we were going to do Flash. And mm. I used to teach the students in the day. And then I'd go home and I'd actually read up and I would have to learn how to do the Flash so I could teach the students the next day. Wow. That's wow. how like that's how new all <laughs> this stuff was. Mm. And I mean, so if you're thinking about the whole world of UX, it was like it was a completely different place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and then, then you saw things like Flash become really, really big. And they, mm. they had like, I mean, Flash was like really, I mean, people laugh at it, but, you know, and they say, but it was really cool at the time because you could do anything with it. Mm. Um, you know, it, was, it incorporated video, visuals, but it yeah, was also a really great tool for learning how to code because mm. it had the visual equivalent. Mm. Like if you, you put code in, and you said red circle, move three pixels. You could actually see it no. when it played. Yeah. So yeah. It, it was really useful for that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's probably. I mean, I started getting into interaction design mainly because I mean, for two reasons. Is I found it very interesting the whole that that kind of world, the programming and, and those kind of things. But also, I mean, truly, it was because there was an absence of anybody else to do the job, and I was like, well, okay. I needed money, I needed work, so like. That's where I started working there. And then I think from there, so this was like 2003, 2004, around there. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's just basically I moved more and more into digital as that progressed. But also mm-hmm. I, I think not just digital, but I think I became much, I became very interested in interaction design and also mm-hmm. design as a, a field of study. And I'm talking about design extending beyond like aesthetics or how to mm-hmm. do design. Just like the, what is design as a phenomenon or a way of thinking or a knowledge tradition in the world. I think to mm-hmm. me that was that became really interesting. Probably one of the more influential uh, things that happened to me is uh, probably at about 12, 13 years ago, I started working in terms of research with uh, – a gentleman by the name of Jason mm-hmm. Hobbs, who had just come, who uh, had probably been working in the UK for the last few years, had come back to South Africa, and he was one of the first people to really talk about UX as like a, you know, interaction design in terms of the business world and how that operates. And uh, I mean, I think he's a self-professed information mm-hmm. architect, um, very knowledgeable mm-hmm. man, um, and we did. We actually, um, I think. Did a lot of research together over the years. We still work into, you know, uh, often together. Um, and I think that that kind of like movement from the the academic world of like perhaps art, graphic design into the more, you know, UX world. Uh, I think a lot of it was uh, through the through our coming together. Uh, I think from my side because he was an mm. information architect. I think uh, bringing the design side to his work. So it was okay. like it, it was a really good, fruitful meeting of minds, and and uh, you know, so I, th- I think we had a lot of success out yeah. of that. Um, and I think it's one of those things. I mean, I mean, it's always yeah. really good. Sometimes when you feel like you're in the dark or in the wilderness, and no one seems to get what you're talking about, uh, it's always good to meet like a kindred spirit, where <laughs> it's just like, you know. 
he gets it or like, mm. you know, yeah, well, okay, I'm not like just making yes. this up. And I, and, and I think more than anything, it was just to have that support was really useful. Because, I mean, I was still working in a mm-hmm. full-on design uh, faculty where if you actually proposed that design was not about visuals, you know, that, that wasn't the be-all and end-all, or just, you know, it was almost like sacrilege. It was almost like, you know, you, you're actually trying to break something mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, that, that whole kind of move away wow. from trying trying to take design away from art. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds, again, it's, it's, I mean, I must be very careful what I say here. This is not, not to say I'm not trying to disart in any way, mm. but there was a time when art shadow was cast too long over design. And, uh, yeah. and trying to break that up and to say design can be about other things. One of the key things was about human-centeredness, mm. which we all take for granted in design now. Uh, I think that, was, that wasn't mm. a given uh, 15 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. A lot of people were still stuck in that, I'm a designer, I'm a genius, you know, mm. I'm going to create. Yeah. And if you say otherwise, you actually, you know, it's almost like you're, <laughs> you know, you should be stoned or... You know, yeah. some kind of blasphemy <laughs> that kind of devil. stuff <laughs> so how did you actually when you you know you um, you had this person who was kind of like this partner mentor helping you uh, path your own way through what you wanted to see within the design discipline did you then start taking those learnings and practices and applying to the lecturers that you were teaching to the students at the time? Or how did you well, um, help shape then this course or, or this pathway within the university? Because you've obviously been there for almost 20 years. So you were part of that evolution to establish the curriculum, establish that that has mm-hmm. to be a study separate well, from yeah. finance. I mean, look, uh, I worked with a lot of uh, I mean, Jason was was one person, but I worked with a lot of like obviously very smart people and people that some people who were smart enough just to give us the space to do yeah. it, um, rather than trying to close down ideas and things like that. A lot of, I mean, a lot of what we did was mm. gradual. It sure. happened over time. I mean, you know, mm. we there were there were years. There were years when we taught Flash yeah. and there was like, you know, that kind of like mm. interaction design was was the most important thing. And then the gradual move over to like probably like a, like as we were saying, a more ethnographic approach to thinking about design. Um, so I think a lot of it happened. We, we, we messed mm-hmm. up a lot. We did things that <laughs> didn't work. Um, but I suppose the main thing is, we read a lot and we um, went to conferences. We tried to keep track of what people were doing overseas. Uh, we And a lot of it, we also just actually, I mean, intuition played a big part of it. A lot of it stick, sticking to our guns and just thinking this mm-hmm. is like, this is, this mm. is what design should be or this is what we believe it should be and just keep going. And I mean... The thing is, mm-hmm. there was a certain time when the world shifted, and people started mm-hmm. like, you know, they, you know, it was at first internationally mm-hmm. and then very locally, where it started seeing that there was this big world, uh, you know, the, the, what we were sort of proposing mm-hmm. in the university mm-hmm. was actually happening out there in the corporate world and other places. 
which which obviously gave a lot of credence to what we were we were trying to do. So the first few years were pretty tough, and it was quite like you know we felt like you were almost against the world, almost against the mm-hmm. academic world in South Africa. Yeah. But then, yeah, you know, the things started changing. Yeah. We started also, and I think also a lot of my colleagues in industrial design started seeing connections uh, there as well. So mm. I think that also became yeah. really yeah. quite important. Um, mm-hmm. it, I think also one of the things that really drove our work was mm. actually, it seems strange, was doing the research, uh, writing articles mm. about it, even if even if they were... I mean, if I look back at some of the early stuff we wrote, okay. and uh, you know, I think we were crazy to write it. <laughs> it was almost like either really brave or really stupid to put some of those ideas down. <laughs> but but that that but you know that that yeah. kind of stuff got us <laughs> to meet other people that were more experienced, like international guys that had gone through this and could offer us advice. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of it was, I suppose, it was like working really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, being super stubborn, and also perhaps maybe just being a little bit lucky at these, you know, at these things, and also working with really good people, you know, uh, mm. who could give us a space to work, or yeah. if, if not directly supporting us. Hmm. So, um, t- one thing I'd like to maybe um, we can maybe hover on for a little bit and and create a little bit of clarity. Um. And maybe for some of the people who might not, either might not be in the discipline or might not be familiar with the term, because you sort of mentioned that there was a transition from this sort of visual understanding of what design is into a more ethnographic approach to it. Um, I guess, could you maybe talk a little bit about like maybe from like a practical perspective, what that means? Maybe maybe starting with what exactly ethnographic <laughs> means in terms of its its relationship to design and then what that transformation actually looked like, um, at least in your experience. So if we're talking about ethnographic, it's just a fancy term for saying people, people orientated. So most of us would probably, mm-hmm. if we're thinking about user experience design, you're thinking about the user as a person. Mm-hmm. Now, now yeah. the whole point of designing for people or, you know, at least having a strong consideration for the human actor within the design process Mm. is something I think over the last 10 years we very much take for granted. I think lots of young people Mm. entering design, you know, in a strange way, it's almost difficult for for them to think about how design could not be like that. So the supporting (laughs) work, you know, it's like, wow, else would you design? But the weird thing is, I mean, when, when... there's many other fields where that's not taken for granted. Design fields, even today. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, for example, even, and I mean, I'm not, I don't want to tie everybody with the same brush, but I think a lot of like communication design fields still very much more about the designer and the clients and the brand, and you know, form mm-hmm. follows the fucking brand. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and when we started, so I didn't, mm-hmm. so. I didn't do a formal undergrad degree in design. So I don't want to, you know, again, you know, but my kind of understanding of working in design departments early on in my career is that it was still very much dominated by the uh, designer as Mm -hmm. a genius kind of model where the designer was seen as a person with this creative ability 
and their job was just to mm. execute on that. And also that, and I suppose the important part about that is design as a as a whole field was seen in a very different way yeah. to what it was seen now. It was very much about finishing off a product. Mm. So you've got the engineering or mm. whatever, you know, we did all the kind of the, the legwork and then designers made it just yeah. a little bit more uh, pleasurable or more beautiful, more accepting for the, um, the clients. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I think it's a bit of a, a strange world that's designed in the 90s, even up to then, was like that, that was a re- that's what it was really about. Yeah, guys like Dave Carson and things like that, we were like these great like gurus of design. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think to a large degree, I think historically, that started to shift with, uh, I think, internationally with the uh, participatory movement in Europe. And very much guys like Don Norman mm-hmm. uh, talking about user-centered design, Park Xerox, uh, coming out very much the world of HCI. Mm-hmm. So quite hard computing. Uh, actually became very influential in the world of design. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people somehow sometimes think it was the other way around, that design influenced computing. But it's actually, it's, it's really the other way around. Mm. Um, when we start seeing uh, a lot of the social sciences and a lot of the methods come in where designers are much more interested in the, the, the life world mm. of people in order to design for that. And to me, that's probably something I found very interesting. Mm. Like moving into that shift as a whole world is, I found it a lot more I suppose intellectually challenging yeah. to think about design as being in service to something mm. else. You know, both the clients as well as like you know, yeah, this, yeah. like I mean, I think we now talk about users, but we're obviously talking about mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that interesting, and I found that remarkably refreshing for teaching students. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, before then. Design education was about, I mean, I suppose we didn't even have the words for it mm. back then, but it was really about how privileged you were. Like if you grew up in a home with, you know, books on art, mm. you know, you were more likely to be sure. successful in your studies because you just, you had this so-called natural ability mm. um, to understand design. But obviously I think now we've got a better language for it that we know it's actually, you know, it's, you, it's not an inherent disposition. It's just like, you know, you were actually exposed. You grew up with yeah. that. You, yeah. You know, I love that you like exposed to it. Yeah, that you bringing that up as well because I think that's a topic within the design community that's actually not often uh, spoken about, which is you know the way um, the discipline of design is evolving and adapting, that it's also removing that element of privilege, and I think a lot of people don't actually. Um, realize or acknowledge that it used to be more embedded in privilege like you 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 just said we now because we we started moving from a very output focused um, mm. visual aesthetic product out or output and rather moving to a way of thinking that mm-hmm. makes it also a lot more accessible mm-hmm. to a whole different group of people mm. Exactly, and and I think that's what lots of our research was based on. It was like the mm-hmm. premise of it. Um, because, I mean, look, when we talk about privilege, we're talking about access and knowledge of Western civilization yeah. when you're talking mm-hmm. about design. 
I mean, that's really that's really what it's about. And I mean, I think I mean we, I've, you know, I work mm-hmm. at UJ. Um, it's a government university. Um, I think it's always been, you know, it's uh, in terms of equity, it's always taken that a lot more serious than a lot of the private schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think even, you know, and I mean, for me, I'm, you know, I came from, I went to school in the like 1980s, mm-hmm. 1990s. Um, you know, I was only used to, you know, like, like completely mm-hmm. white education. And then, I, I mean, we're in a situation where we were, you know, now teaching probably one of the most, I suppose, one of the hardest, you know, I suppose, educational fields to access if you were coming from outside of, you know, like that Western canon. And I mean, to me, that was that became really important with human centered design, where it became plausible. What are we talking about when we're talking about design? Mm. Well, it wasn't just about somebody's inherent ability or the inherent understanding yeah. of beauty, or something like that. That it was <coughs> that there was it became more mm. logical that you could explain to students this is why something is a good design, not just because I've read. I mean, I've been exposed to a hundred books yeah. on design yeah. back home, or you know, my parents have like a two gig, you know, dial-up internet connection, and I can look at anything in the world. Yeah. Um, you know that that, that that there's there's a kind of a pragmatic logic to it. Um, that it's, you know, you're not designing for white people; you're designing for mm. everybody. But to understand who that everybody is in in those particular contexts. Is something you can learn. It's something that you can apply. You know, it can be taught. Mm. It can be, you know, you can understand it through asking and through exposure. Yeah, it's not something you're born with. And I think that 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 was mm. really important. I think, and you know, I've been thinking about um, a lot of what you've been saying also speaks to um, design creating a little bit of conflict. And it hasn't seemed to to change that much. If you if you think about you know design now as a way of thinking, not just um, creating visuals, we have to question things, and questioning things is not always accepted in some environments. And we, we've made a lot of progress, yes, but you still see businesses who or organisations or spaces where output is more valued, mm. and design as a tool to change a business or facilitate um, growth or facilitate a different way of thinking is often either not accepted or even um, not encouraged. So I'm trying to think. Go ahead. Like in the government. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think it's one of those things. I mean, it's, 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 Design is a very new field in that mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at the history of architecture, the history of like the sciences, engineering, mm. it's stretched back thousands of years. Mm. And a lot of it is because I think, I mean, I'm not saying design has only got a short history. I think yeah. the recognition of what we call design mm. has only recently been disciplined or become part of discourse. I think design is found, I mean, I think design is like, man's relationship or people's yeah. relationship to technology mm. is like as old as, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, 
as people are. I mean, uh, you know, it's, I, I think that that's that's what makes us human is our ability to shape the world mm-hmm. around us. Which, in my understanding, that's what design is about. Um, I think it, I think it's uh, there is a strange concept that you know that engineering, and I'm I'm kind of making that equation, but we could be talking about mm-hmm. many other things, science, etc. Is put on a pedestal where design is still seen as a kind of uh, a soft skill, like a mm-hmm. humanity skill. Yeah, the humanities. You know, it's, it's like yeah. something you study yeah. if you're. You're more passionate than like actually intelligent, <laughs> and I, and I think that is obviously something that is mm. slowly changing. I think South Africa in particular has struggled because I think our government is, um, I think in that sense, comes out of a different world where uh, you know where science was really mm. the be all and end all, uh, where you, where you, you get those typical STEM mm. subjects. But that that's really important, and they are important. I'm not saying, uh, but I, I think that design is a reasonably unknown. It still hasn't made its yeah. case clear to the to the rest of the mm-hmm. world what it's about, and that's you can't. Designers also tend to sit back and complain <laughs> about it instead of actually doing the work around it. As well, it's like it's unfair. We don't get treated like, you know. But like, I mean, how many designers actually stand up and say, "Look, you know." Um, and I'm not talking about necessarily in the workplace where you don't always have mm. an opportunity. But I mean, you know, certain things like the design community likes to think they're passionate and very close. But I mean, as soon as you ask for volunteers, as soon as you're, you know, looking for people to, you know, mentor students, they all <laughs> disappear. You know, so it's, it's a mm. lot of it is talk. I mean, there's a lot of great people that have been yeah. super supportive as well. Uh, I, I, don't, get, mm. don't get me wrong on that. But I think a, a lot of it is about understanding you've got to advocate yeah. for your field yeah. as well. Yeah. You can't just sit there and take the nice UX salary and mm-hmm. think, well, that's cool. Especially because, yeah. like you mentioned, it's such a young um, discipline still. And we're still trying to, to prove its yeah. value. And also, I think, us ourselves, we're still trying to understand where it fits in and actually what the limitations or constraints is of where it can be practiced and how. Um, so a big job there for us as creatives in this field is to advocate for it. Mm. Um, and there's, there's, there's something... Oh, d- d- yeah, definitely. There's something I'd, I'd like to um, add on, but also maybe shift the, 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 the lens a little bit. Because I think when you... When you look at the way design is changing by the nature of the people in design, there's also something very interesting happening. And it's that there are a lot of people who are not trained designers that are entering the design mm. space. And it's typically, and so, I mean, my family is an amazing example because I technically have no um, official qualification. My eldest brother, Alex, was like a computer engineer and then he did like bioengineering and then ended up in design. And then Felix, my other brother, was in human genetics, and he's also ended up in design. And so there's there's this sort of thing where, like, I, and this is where I guess maybe I'm, um, it's a hypothesis or an or a um, uh, assumption. But I think before before that stage actually happens, when people clearly understand the value of that of the discipline, there's a stage where people who are not technically in the discipline start to migrate. 
And I think that's that's both as a matter of maturity, but also as a matter of um, the the industry growing. I think in the, the the industry in South Africa has grown quite a lot, and especially some of the bigger companies like the banks and the insurance companies and all of that, they sort of have a tendency to just fill a role that requires thinking with engineers. Doesn't really matter what engineering they did, like whether it's a hundred percent relevant. And I think it's because the the almost tools for thought in engineering apply to design as well, in design's case specifically. And I think maybe it even it even helps push design more towards that ethnographic approach that we sort of mentioned earlier. I don't know if you've either thought this, uh, something similar or if you have any comments on that. Oh, Alfie, I do. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I've often thought about this is, is <laughs> many times. <sighs> you know, okay, I think I think I think the the. So there's a couple of questions there. Mm-hmm. I think that firstly, what is design? I mean, that is something, I mean, I think this kind of straddles both the conversations like what we're just talking about prior. Mm. Is design is, in the English language, means anything. You know, it, it can be an object, it can be a profession, it can be a person, it can be like a, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what, what field of design are we talking about? I mean, engineers design, architects design, mm-hmm. computer scientists mm-hmm. design. You know, we it's it's design is a human trait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay? it's more. But yeah, I think when we talk about design, verb. we often do, we <laughs> yeah, general verb designing. Yeah, I think the, the but I think when we're talking about design, we're talking about probably the more creative fields, which, which were traditionally the the creative mm-hmm. uh, fields. You know, when we talk about design with a capital D. I think a lot of this is part of the problem is that when, you know, as, as we're not very specific, there's a lot of murky language. Mm. And I mean, I don't know how many times I've been to conference talks where somebody stands up and they say, well, design, I can't, def- I'm not going to define it because, you know, there's so many means. But I think to me, the thing is, is like a lot of this is a lot of these things need to be mm. defined if they are going to mean things to different people, you know, um, so I think I think that's the first point. Is like it's it's, it's there's a lot of sloppy meaning, mm-hmm. mm. you know, which makes people because then I mean, I I I I don't want my child to study you know interaction design because you know I heard that the neighbor's child got a degree in like sort of interior design and can't find a job, you know. So they're both designers. <laughs> like I don't see the difference. Mm. So that so so that's kind of one point. Um. I also think that, like, if, if we think about things like engineering and that, is we also tend to always put them in opposition, where I think that they very much um, complement mm. each other. Um, I kind of, I, I think the important thing for us is, is uh, and uh, I think it's Herbert Simons, one of the one of the, the big old-fashioned design kind of first guys who wanted to scientificize mm. design, and he used to speak about, uh, I think, like sort of. The, uh, design outside the loop or design inside okay. the loop and uh, and when he was talking about the loop he's talking about like sort of like the technological interface ah, okay. so you get people who design behind the yeah. interface and then people who design for the front of the interface mm. and I think to me that's quite an important way of understanding what we do is that if you get engineers and that they sort of design in you know mm-hmm. behind 
you know, we don't get to see what they're doing, but we know it's obviously very mm. intelligent and, uh, and it's a lot of it. It's like, like what, what makes yeah, things enabling work. people. Yeah, we, we kind of, we, we, we kind of, yeah, we mm. outside the loop designers. And I, and, I, and I think that's like a really important thing to think about. So when, when I'm thinking about human-centered design, I know people tend to almost take the cliche and always think that that's about, it's always about like participatory and that. But I think to me that's, that's any kind of, it's when you think about technology, uh, fitting into the, the world of people. And, when I, and again, when I'm talking about the world of people, I'm not just talking about users and what people can do with it. I'm talking about our basic human existence mm. on this planet needs to be included in that so i think it's planetary concerns as well so it's so it's beyond it's not just like the selfish human i think it's like it's, it's kind of human humanity mm. um outside of technology is really important yeah and i th- i think that that actually is so important it, it brings to my mind something that's completely off topic but but maybe um maybe a little bit relevant um <laughs> And it's this sort of, a similar sort of, I guess, competition. And I'd say it's maybe a little bit more related to the outputs of those disciplines. You could, or you could think about it that way. It's sort of like the technology and the in the loop aspect of things has been moving forward so quickly for so long. Like it's since pretty much since the internet boom, it's kind of been just on an exponential graph upwards, but like the our understanding both of ourselves and how we interact with these devices that we're creating is still on a linear trajectory. And I think design is the one thing that's looking to actually push that trajectory up because we're actually looking at the technology, trying to understand it as far as we can. Um, and maybe actually d- design is maybe a little bit too general and I'll, I'll, I'll maybe speak specifically about, you know, UI, UX and product design, that, that, that specific band. Um, as they interact with with the output of the the engineers and the developers, and so they've been going exponentially up for so um, so quickly for so long that there's still such a wide gap in terms of the both the ground we've covered, but also like the scaffolding to go further. And I think design is only now starting to reach the stage where there's enough scaffolding for almost like the everyday person or the the the, the person who might not previously have been. Um, exposed to design to actually get in and then make progress once they're already in. Um, and so I, I'm hoping, but I, I, and I think that like our, almost like our, our eth- the ethical aspect of the loop, like, because I, th- I do think that's the, almost like the role that design plays is, is actually starting to pick up speed a little bit. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a, like a really good point you made. And I think to me, this is this is like uh, this is actually critical. Um, and I, I think thinking about design on this level is like really critical because I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it scares the <laughs> fuck out of me that a guy like Facebook, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg, is is declaring that he's going to design our mm-hmm. future. I mean, like he's not even talking about a smart city; yeah. he's talking about like the visual experience. I mean, like I couldn't think of anything yeah. more scary. Yeah you know, in the world than Facebook being like, you know, so, and I mean, this is, this, this is not on the point of just being like a, a, a light or something like that. This is like, I mean, if anybody's read the mm. news, do you think that that guy's not in jail? Yeah. That he's right? actually taking, he's like yeah. declaring that he owns our, our future. Yeah. 
It's crazy. Yeah. That's horrible. That, that's terrible. And at least at least we know about yeah. the things that Mark Zuckerberg uh, so, is doing. I mean, sometimes the things that scare me are the smart people we don't know about. Like, there could be a guy who is right now building a virus to shut down the entire internet and nobody knows. And like he and and the thing that's really scary about it is there are people like that. There are people who have Absolutely. enough knowledge yeah. of technology to completely remove it from everybody. But then you also get people who can't even like operate a TV by themselves, <laughs> which I guess is an unrelated, interesting parallel. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's like a crazy that we live in this one mm. world where you have, like, I mean, you have like people professing like, oh, we're going to have them, you know, the metaverse. And then, I mean, we're 85% of the world are struggling to get access to clean yeah. water. You know, but I mean, I suppose it's interesting. And I mean, I, you know, as much as these things bug me as well, it's also, I mean, sometimes you also have to draw, Line. you know, you have to like bring it down and say, and I, you know, I do 100% agree that that's, that's the role of design is yeah. ethics. You know, like when we talk about design with a, you know, a capital D outside the loop, it's, 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 a, it's an ethical mm-hmm. objective um, in the broadest sense of the mm. word. But I, but I also get that it's also it's a very easy thing to sit back and we oh, can have a nice yes. like yeah. Wednesday evening yeah. chat about these things. Or like, shift you know, the responsibility. Work, who's yeah. making? Yeah, but it's also you got to work and whose responsibility is is it? I mean, who's supporting? Uh, you know, Zuckerberg. It's not the designers. Mm. It's like the venture capitalists. Mm. I mean, yeah. so I think that like designers often also fall into this. But we, we can be moral crusaders. We can say, oh, design, design's to blame for every problem in the 20th century. But it's, but I mean, I, I, I think if we want to make those kind of changes, I think we always let the financial people off the hook, mm. you know, to mm. a large extent, mm. and managers yeah. and shareholders. Yeah. They seem to get away, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I tend to take a lot of, you know, view on who's to blame for this stuff when, when, when we're talking from a design perspective. Mm. No, and you're absolutely right. I think um, a lot of people who practice design, we, we do kind of step back when it comes to taking responsibility for those things, especially when we feel it's, it's not our place. Um, and we leave it to, like you said, you know, the people who, who manage the money and the finances because we don't want to get involved. And and I think as someone in the industry or, or in this discipline, we have to almost force ourselves to become more involved in if, if it's our organization or um, our company. Mm. We tend to, you know, work in silos, be very focused on only the product that we, we're busy with instead of understanding the the more holistic, let's say, the trajectory of the company or mm. what the roadmap is for the bigger picture, so to mm. say, instead of just being zoomed in on the task I'm doing because that makes it very easy to also then um, disconnect from the responsibility or or push the responsibility onto someone else because we're mm-hmm. only responsible, you know, for this one thing I'm designing or creating right now instead of almost embedding that in this one piece now so that can be used as a tool to also help facilitate the creation of that roadmap or that vision for mm-hmm. an organization or company. I definitely agree with you. 
but and I and I think it is maybe it's a question of small battles that kind of add up to winning the war. Mm. But yeah. but I also do think sometimes is you know these people who are putting these positions where they they drive in these projects, they run in these companies. Um, they also probably need to be held to more account for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, they. Uh, I think a lot of them know exactly what they're doing. And, uh, I mean, it's a difficult, I mean, because it's, uh, I suppose it's capitalism. How do we get out of capitalism? No one really knows these things. So I'm not, I'm not pretending to say so. Mm. But, I, but I do think that it's also it's a bit hard to expect your graphic designer to take the moral stand. You know, when they're the person first to get fired, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I don't think that's fair. Either. Yeah. So what does that look like then? If we, you know, we're all saying, yes, we, we should be taking more responsibility for the ethics and design and um, what, what that means uh, in the larger scale of things. But what does that mean on a practical level, on uh, what do, am I doing today level? If, I mean, Terence, you're, you're a lecturer, so I'm sure you've, uh, and I know you've written a lot of papers and comments on the ethics of design or design ethics. So how does that look on a practical level then? Well, I, 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 think, I think firstly, when, uh, I think when we're talking about ethics, it's, it's very wide. I think it it's, could be ethical, mm-hmm. could, yeah. could fit from <laughs> anything from use, plain old usability to like taking some kind of moral stand about you know, a product which we think has mm. got an inherent bias. You know, the thing is, I think some people, I think you, you're never going to win every battle. Some battles are run just because, mm. you know, they're shareholders and they need to make their, you know, 0.5% profit because if they don't make their 0.5% profit, people that have put their retirement savings into like certain funds are going to struggle. I mean, it's, 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 it's finances are big, interconnected, difficult mess to yeah. like unravel. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of, I think a lot of the things is, uh, I think that in the last few years that have changed is people are definitely becoming much more aware of what it means to be an ethical human being, like in the mm. corporate world, mm. you know, and I mean, I think in the, the world in general, even in Hollywood, some people are starting to learn yeah. <laughs> certain things about the world. And I think those things are really important. Mm-hmm. Those kind of forces, they do, you know, they do have the effect as much as sometimes they seem silly in the moment, you know, like in certain circumstances, you go like, oh, come on. But I think overall they are really positive and they have got people to rethink a lot of the, a lot of the way they kind of perhaps maybe, you know, particularly in South Africa, in a way almost like, pretend they're going along with things like affirmative action, but not really because no one's really going to check up. You know, Mm. I think they've made a lot of the reasons behind a lot of those things, not just affirmative action, but a lot of those issues in the world are a lot more real to people. Mm. And uh, I think corporate responsibility has like stepped up a bit. I think that's really important. Uh, The other thing, I think the thing is one of the key things is I like to believe and this might be a little bit naive on my side, mm. is that, well, I mean, I, did, I mean, maybe not so naive, but I mean, we all learn from basic user-centered design that people are more likely to buy products if they can actually use them. <laughs> and I mean, 
it's, 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 it's the same kind of thing. It's like, I'm more likely to buy your product if, if it means that in 20 years, I'm not going to burn to death on the hottest summer ever like recorded on this planet. Mm. I think a lot of this stuff is becoming more common sense mm-hmm. is that good things are not are, are, are good. Things that are benevolent, things that are like good for everybody else are usually good for us. And usually mm. people are becoming more aware that these are the things that they want in their life. Mm. I yeah. mean, we yeah. are sitting here in load yeah. shedding. I mean, I bet you we all wish we had got solar power a few years back. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's, it's like it's becoming obvious. Yeah. That, and, I, and I think a lot of this thing, it's, if, I don't know, people are stupid. It just takes so long for them to get, you know, some <laughs> of these, like, we should treat each other decently. Like, half of our population are not our slaves. You know, like, if we don't stop driving V8s, you know, we're going to, you know, you know, like the Blood planet's going to die. I mean, I don't know what it takes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you, you hope. I mean, a lot of it is about hope, mm-hmm. but I, I but I think a lot of it is is verbalizing. Mm. You know, talking about things yeah. becomes mm. really important. And one thing that, yeah. that that I wanted to just mention on that specifically, and I think this is maybe a little bit of one of my pet peeves, just because I think me and education generally didn't play too well together, but. I'm starting to think more and more that a lot of the cultural problems we have are because academia and the professional environment are too far separated. Yeah. I just think more businesses need to be engaging with universities and like long-term relationships. Like professionals should be helping write papers. Professionals should be helping conduct that research. They should be guiding the questions that the research is asking because they are the people who are on the ground experiencing the customers, experiencing the day-to-day challenges. And I feel like typically people want to blame it on academia, but I blame business actually. I think for two... So do I. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? And again, I mean, it's a hard thing. I mean, I've heard this, this kind of stuff for... Many years. I mean, I've worked. I mean, I worked in academia, but I've I've also worked in a lot of consult, mm. like done a lot of consultation. So I mean, I've seen both sides mm. of this, and I mean, like, to be honest, business always wants. It's as simple as that, and they want what mm. they want. They don't want what everybody in business mm. wants. They don't want, you know, what would be better for the economy. Yeah. They want mm. what they want, and academia actually has to resist it. Mm. You know, because the thing is, to be honest, if I was, you know, when we decided we were going to teach UX, there was no business need for it. We Mm. were looking, you know, if you're thinking about academics, we were looking overseas. We were seeing what's coming. Mm. Okay. Business doesn't look at that always. I mean, lots of businesses do, don't get me wrong. But I mean, lots of them, they're not always, you know. So, (laughs) I mean... No business came to us in 2010 and said, hey, we're going to give you guys, here's a million rand, build a UX department. Mm. No, because they wanted graphic designers at that time or they wanted programmers yeah. or they wanted something like that. So I think that, that that's the thing. Businesses also, the industries always say like, ah, people aren't coming through. But I mean, they think that sometimes they think universities are there to produce minions for them, <laughs> you know, like to like job ready for you know, this particular niche. I mean, 
oh, that's not the job of a university. The job of a university is to teach people to think in a particular way mm. and to be like to be capable of be, to be responsive and to be agile. Mm. It's not to train somebody to like do this piece of software mm. or to you know understand you know what this acronym for banking means. <laughs> that's 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 really not our job. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, there's certain things that you know, obviously you need students to go out so that they're capable of working. Mm. That there, there's, there are certain like soft and hard skills that you can say this is a direct index of what what you know like what you know fintech needs, for example. Mm. But beyond that, I mean, who's to say fintech is going to be around as we know it in five years' <laughs> time? Now, fintech doesn't. You know, fintech's working for tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. They're working for their annual report. You know. Now, I must, I must, I, you know, now accommodate that. Yeah. Their annual report. So uh, I kind of, I do think, I mean, I, I mean, I learned a lot from working with people with industry, you know, that are working like day in, day out for years in industry. Mm. So don't get me wrong. I'm not like saying that, that there's obviously there's a strong partnership. But I mean, in South Africa, I think it's always that you, you hear it a lot. And I'm, and to be honest, I'm not saying I've heard it from, you know, um, the fintech, you know, industry. I think they've actually been really, pretty happy with. I think a lot of the work that's been coming from the universities. Mm. Um, so I, I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not biting the hand that we've got to feed. Mm. Um, I'm kind of like, I think this is more of a general. When I look at like sort of when you hear people interviewed, you know, in industry and talking about university education mm. in general. Is like um, you know, I think sometimes the guys from industry have no concept of what the university is. <laughs> it's not just to feed like the you know industry. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's 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 to do more than that. It's to like it's 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 to extend mm. industry. It's mm. to think about yeah. where the industry is going to be in like five, ten, twenty, thirty years time. Mm. Uh, it's to think about alternative industries. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. You know, I think yeah. those things those things are really important. Yeah. And you're right, um, you know, because uh, it's almost like, like you said, um, business at the time needed this person, but you guys are already thinking about what people would need in five years' time. Mm-hmm. But it does also point to what Alfie said around the, the gap of actually connecting these two institutions, right, or these two spaces, that they should actually be more working together or at least to some extent. Because surely if you are paving the path for the future in industries, working with those that are already in the industry also helps them <laughs> But yeah. I get what you're saying. It's 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 such a hard um, it's a hard relationship to foster and a hard yeah it's a hard thing. <laughs> but I mean I I mean there there is I mean uh, you know up until COVID I mean that's the last few years have been like pretty much everything's just been closed off. Mm-hmm. But I mean I, I mean I, I think everyone can always do more. Mm. But I mean I think you you do get a I mean. I wouldn't say industry is totally absent. Mm. I think they do do a lot mm. of there's always a lot yeah. of cross for us. You know, you get lots of people coming into universities. You get students going out. Mm. So I mean, I, I think there is a, there, there is quite a strong partnership. Mm. Uh, I think sure it would be really we, we can always have more, 
But I think it's also one of those things is like the demand of people working in the digital industry at this moment is like ridiculous. Yeah. Insane. You know? yeah. I mean, sure, it pays well and stuff like that, but who's got who's got the spare time? Mm. You know, it's it's like very difficult. I think for yeah. people to make those kind of commitments and companies to make those kind of commitments, just because, you know, I think they they they're still chasing. You know, there's there's always like a it's it's, it's almost like a, there's just another job to do. Yeah, uh, I I think particularly in UX mm. because it's developed so fast that there's almost like a, a skill shortage. It's like a churn that. Mm. It's, it's, you know, we haven't had that. We, we're not old enough to be able to look back and reflect. And no one ever, I mean, even COVID, we didn't get the time off to like think about what we did exactly. there. It just became more. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it's it's kind of the nature of the beast is that we're wild. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, 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 you know, things are, are becoming more disciplined. There's like, I mean, before, as you guys were talking about, you didn't necessarily have to study to be a designer or mm. to be UX. I think a lot of those things are becoming more formalized. Mm. And I think a lot of, I think universities have a much better understanding of what industry uh, expects mm-hmm. or would like. And I mean, to me, it's, it's always interesting if you talk to people from industry, very rarely is about hard skills. It's always about soft skills. Yeah. Working in teams, working in groups, mm. those things. Um, is what they they really uh, look for most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think so. Sorry, so I just I kind of lost the track there, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no worries because there was I carry on. <laughs> there was one thing I wanted to mention, um, and it's it, it's sort of like if so. I guess building in some sense on top of the previous point I made about um, industry and academia working together, because in for me, one of the things, one of the, the turning points in my professional journey or entering my professional journey was actually uh, like I did a month of work experience in, in the middle of the school holidays. And just actually being there and seeing what designers did and talking to people about what they like, what a what what is the actual day-to-day job of a ux designer as in like when you get to the office what do you do what do your meetings look like how does that actually look and sort of seeing that gave me an appreciation in some sense that academia couldn't because academia is in some sense is about learning the skills and the tools and the method of thinking not necessarily living the job and i found that there are some people who who take to the theoretical aspect of it and the academic aspect of of their development really well. And then they struggle a little bit when they're actually in the workplace to to readapt to almost like a a different way of measuring your performance. And then there are people who struggle in the academic perspective and and struggle to pick up the theoretical aspects. But then when they get into the practice, they sort of kind of find a a natural rhythm. And I think that those two events or occurrences can be enabled a lot more. And like, I mean, if, if it was even just something as simple as like the bigger, the bigger companies, the banks, the insurance companies and so on, just committed to a consistent graduate program. Because I know a lot of them have graduate programs and they're growing and they're developing. developing. But the challenge with the graduate programs as they exist now is you're only experiencing the, experience them when you're already a professional. And, but in actual fact, at least from my humble opinion, 
that's something that you should actually do in the process of being educated. Because mm. if, you, if you're going in that direction, you sort of want to at least have an idea of what to expect once you start working. And I, I always found, especially yeah. during like my studies, that because I didn't know how to justify the things I was learning, like which things I'm, I'm learning are interesting as a theoretical thing and which things that I'm learning are valuable because my job will need them. And because I could never yeah. really differentiate that, it was easy to tell myself, oh, actually, I don't need this thing or I don't like I don't need to try super hard. And that was always my struggle with with um, that learning environment. But then as soon as I actually got to see what designers did from a practical perspective, like it let me like retrospectively connect all the dots, like all the things that lecturers had said that I thought were silly and that every time that I asked, like, how, why am I going to need that in real life? Like those dots actually get start to get connected. And when that happened, I actually started to enjoy the process of learning, even the theoretical stuff. Like that actually started to become something that's interesting because it had implications and, and, and effects on the real world and on the practical aspects, which I found maybe a little bit more interesting and a little bit more engaging. So I guess... In in summary, yeah, industry and <laughs> academia, please. No, okay. So so I think I mean like to that point. I mean like, and and I'm I'm very much agreeing with you. This mm. is not a defense of academia. Uh, is that I think one hundred percent. I think most most courses and i'm talking about private colleges and university they do have these days they do have up until COVID, at least they used to have like job sharing mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to in you know internships of very particular yeah. term when we were younger mm-hmm. it just meant any kind of any of this but like sort of their job shadowing was very much a, um a, a requirement. okay that's good um i mean so so I mean, I know my students have been. I think they 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 do it as part of their third year program. They yeah. have to do about I think six weeks of it. Okay. At least. I That's don't know amazing. if they all end up doing it, but they they do do something like that, and I think it's fairly common. Um, I think, but this this is one of those things that I I do think in terms of design, as much as I say, is like it's uh, a lot of the interactions on personal relationships like knowing Mm. people which is maybe not good enough to your point is because i mean i know for my students they tend to there's i I know there's a lot of the the graduate programs and the people who recruit the graduate programs don't even go to the design university courses they go straight to you know the, the computer science courses mm. or the IT courses. Like they their recruitment policy doesn't actually mm. recognize that's where UX designers come from. Mm. Sure. Like yeah. they misguided in that sense. Okay. Like, well, <clears throat> I mean when I say misguided, that's the mandate they've been given mm-hmm. is to recruit from there. Um where it's an interesting point because if you've got whole departments full of people that have studied design and are not getting the right people coming in through those graduate programs, why are they asking what's your recruitment process? Where are you recruited? You know, it's like there's, there's a certain logic to those kind of things. Yeah. yeah. Um, as well, you know. Um, the, the other thing is I think it's also, 
very rarely in the 20 years I've worked at a university that has <laughs> always been there have, you know, big corporates come came to us and said, well, how can we help? Mm. You know, there, there has been occurrences. There have been, mm. I mean, particularly a guy like Marcel Rus, uh well, okay, let's not get into names, but I mean, a lot of guys have been very useful and very try to help. Mm. But I mean, overall, no. You know, it's like the universities are there for us to take students from. There's not a real yeah. thought of like, you know, maybe we can support, we can help pay fees, you know, for mm. students yeah. that are struggling or anything like that. No, I mean, and maybe they go through different channels. Maybe, you know, like the big banks are saying, well, they already give them money here and there. But if we're thinking about the design world. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and it, it would, you would think it like, would be. It's just like, where's the graduates? Exactly. And you would think it would be quite a, like a, mm. like a logical thing, right? Because there's a return of investment mm. there. You're basically investing in the people that you're probably going to employ. Mm-hmm. So it's the future of your company yeah. as well and your industry. So it feels so logic. Yeah. But I think it, it is it is what you mentioned, Terrence. Like businesses are just not good at looking at the future. Like they're great yeah. at looking at today, tomorrow, and next week. And from there on, it just deteriorates. Hmm. Yeah, well, I, I, I think that's it. And I, look, to be honest, that's the nature of the beast. Mm. You know, and, uh, and I think that's industry. why you have these yeah. kind of... Uh, I, sure, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, mean I, I, I haven't worked with any other industry. I mean, a lot of people, some of the, the best supporters and, uh, you know, have been people from, you know, individuals working in these mm. spaces. Mm. But, uh, you know... Yeah, look, I think... It's 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 pretty clear that that with the three of us we can go on for uh, a very long time, but we're already more than an hour into this. So I think we'll we'll sort of start to step into the closing stages of this discussion, and I think maybe one thing that I would like to to um, ask, just because maybe this is the, an opportunity where an opportunity that people might not typically get, from your perspective as a person, I guess who has got a, a fair amount of the the theoretical knowledge, but also maybe some of the, maybe also the perspective of a person looking in some sense to the future of this industry. Is there anything either that you're seeing coming that's interesting or maybe something that you would like to see happened in, in the, in the, in the future for our industry that's um, specifically stuck out for you? So kind of probably what I would see long term, Mm. As I think that I think look we I think we're always going to have human centered designers that work as now that like work on a product level. I think I think that that's not going to move away. But I think there's like going to be an opening gap where we're going to get particularly when we're talking about big tech. Um, mm. Whether we're talking about smart cities, we're talking about AI. When you know like technology at the scope that the normal designer cannot actually be part of the production process of literally. Mm. You know, they can't mm. make the interface. They can't, you know, like they can't access the, I think there's going to be, I mean, hmm. I kind of feel there's going to be a big role for like the designer slash anthropologist to be working as like or, or almost like a, a professional researcher mm. um, for a lot of these big processes where, uh-huh. the, where they're kind of mitigating the gap between 
somebody who's deeply yeah. knowledgeable, knowledgeable about yeah. technology, but also has got that anthropological mm. um, background, mm. but who's mm. different to an anthropologist who, who who doesn't have that like intense or that like sort of like deep understanding of technology. And I mean, to me, that's one of the things that I think if, if I was preparing students for, I am preparing students for the future. So I think one of the, the, the two things that I think design needs to up its game on is, 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 a, is basic understanding of anthropology. Mm. I, think, I think a lot of it's there. But I mean, we tend to do a lot of that kind of like user research and that, but then we always take the easy way out to say it's for design. So we don't really have to be rigorous and things <laughs> like that. And I think that the, the more and more that the, the actual rig is going to be brought into question. Mm. Like, can you make this claim? How, you know, you interviewed five people, like, so what? <laughs> you actually have to be interviewing like 50 people. And like, I think those things are going to become more and more important because, mm-hmm. you know, when billions of dollars ride on design, you know, you can't, yeah. you can't just like be, you know, you can't be as sloppy as I think a lot of people working in industry are being mm-hmm. and academia you know when in the teaching of it it's often like ah do some interviews and then you know what do oh, you think is cool out of those interviews <laughs> a google mm-hmm. form that's yeah <laughs> done exactly that's got to be a lot more rigorous and taught properly yeah. those methods and i think that the other thing is almost the opposite side is a lot of designers and it's strange to me know very little about technology like yeah. they, they don't follow they don't read they don't understand technology it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. You're like, I mean, and I say, so, and I mean, I meet people that are academics that like don't understand what like the fourth industrial revolution is, you know, <laughs> you know they're like that kind yeah. of stuff. Like, you mm. know, what is AI? It's not, you know, like, what's the difference between, you know, machine learning? What's, what's like heavy AI? What's light AI? I mean, people don't know these things. Mm. And I mean, sure that, you know, Common man on the street doesn't have to, but I mean, I think as designers, we actually need to know those mm. things. Yeah. I'm not Designing, saying we have to make yeah. them, we don't have to be engineers, but we exactly. need to up our game there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. I agree with that point 100%. And I think, especially Alfie, that you know, he moved from working for a bank for a company working with smart tech. It was a bit of a shell shock, <laughs> especially if we're designers used to um, working for companies that are very stagnating in the technology they use or just, you know, depend on legacy technologies or older technologies. Mm. Uh, We don't actively go and be proactive about learning more about the the technologies that enable the stuff we design for, which Mm. is a very valid point. And, yeah, yeah, Yeah. that. And, I I mean, probably the amusing side of that is how people just, you know, just – change what they call things you know like mm. computing has now become ai like everybody like all days we just say well no, that's computing man no like everything's ai or whatever yeah yeah uh, write a simple anyway. if statement ai done yeah yeah that's a whole uh, other yeah. topic for discussion is the terminology in this industry because mm. that yeah. is just it's almost like gender it's become very fluid <laughs> Oh. It's a bit like business intelligence. So. It's just like you don't know what they mean. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yo. Oh. Um, yeah, I think, firstly, I would just like to say, maybe for everyone listening, there were a lot of those terms that Terence mentioned that I don't even know. And I'm working in a smart tech company, so 
I've also got a little bit of work to do, so you don't have to feel too guilty. Um, but but I think you are right, and it is something that, especially when I moved to this company, it's something that I realized I needed to take much more seriously. Like working, especially because when you work in a bank, you're using technology that exist that that existed for like. 20, 30 years already. Like it's got it, it's got it because I mean, you don't want the person who is managing your money to be using the latest tech out there that has no security like <laughs> assurance. But then when you leave that space, it's sort of like you don't have that constraint anymore. And if you haven't been keeping up, you've got this huge mountain of reading and learning that you need to do. So you, you are um, you are very right in that you need to really know the technology, both the technology that you, you deal with, but also the, the technology that's coming. Um, yeah. And as I mentioned, we could be, we could go on forever because it's, it's clear that, that, um, you've got a lot to share and a lot that's valuable. I think anyone who's, who's, who's kind of joined the the conversation until this point definitely has, um, taken something valuable from it. I think I even have both myself and Steph, I'll speak for you yeah, here as I well. I think We've officially we can say... We've been schooled. <laughs> so I think Terrence, I just wanted to say firstly, thank you very much for making the time to come and chat with us. It's been it's been really cool. But also just being willing to share your knowledge. Oh well, I think firstly, thanks very much for having me. It's been great to talk about something that I you know I enjoy talking about. I, you know, mm. I mean for me that's the one thing that I would say to all young people out there. It's like, make sure you love the thing you do because there's going to be like mm. many days when you're alone uh, doing it yeah. by yourself. And, you know, I'm just happy to, sh- hopefully it came across and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and hopefully if some people learn something from it, well, that, that, that that's cool. And I mean, mm. I've, it's been great talking to you guys and I've learned lots from you guys. Amazing. Terrence, I think we will call it there. I think it's been a great episode. And for everyone listening, thank you very much um, for your time. And please hit the the subscribes, the likes, and all of those beautiful things. Um, maybe I don't know. I don't know if you're a if you're a social media person or if you've got a blog or something like that. But is there any way people can find you if they're interested in your in your work or maybe some of the things, that, some of the research that you've done? Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm like in the. F- I'm in my fifth year of a PhD. I don't think I've looked at anything besides <laughs> word processor <laughs> for the last like at least six months. So, um, you know what? I've I've got a page on on. So I work at the University of Johannesburg, Department of Multimedia. Uh, mm-hmm. If you go onto the site, you'll you'll catch me there. Okay. Um, otherwise, anybody is more than welcome to email me. Um, it's my name is Terence. So my email is. T fan F E double N at UJ.ac.za. Um, to be honest, I do have a link. I'm a, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, and that's perfect. In order to finish a PhD, that's the limit of my social media. <laughs> cool. Maybe that's maybe perfect. what we'll do yeah. is also just drop a link to your yeah, what is it, Google Scholar page if anyone wants to read some of your papers. Um but yeah, oh, yeah, I think let's let's call it there, Terence. Again, thank you very much for everyone listening. Thanks for your time, and have a wonderful day. Further. <laughs>